Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, welcome on in Sunday morning. Hope you're having a good one. Uh, it is another edition of the Morning After podcast, otherwise known as the Hans and Scotty Don't Have a Voice. I had the late Utah State game, but got done. That was almost a four-hour game last night with uh, injuries and timeouts and a lot of scoring. and So that was a long game. Uh, and then I get in the car to drive home, and Hans and Will are still on the air. So, Hans, I know you don't have much of a voice left. It was a, It was a busy day for both of us yesterday. It was a long day, man. It was a day that was jam-packed with kids' games and then culminated to this BYU-Tennessee game that ended up in a double overtime situation, continued to go on. High emotions all day yesterday. You can hear my voice is gone, mostly from my kids' games. But <clears throat> also, we spent a lot of time on air in that post-game with Will and trying to break down this game. So it was... That was an that was an emotional night of football, Scotty. Yeah, let's start with uh, let's start with BYU. And I know that you've sent out a lot of tweets. A very animated Kalani Sataki is that game somehow. Uh, and I've I've only had a chance to skim some of the highlights. I'll spend a longer look at it today. It was going on about the same time as my game uh, with Utah State and Stony Brook. So I haven't had a chance to really dive deep into the game itself. But BYU was dead. They were done. How the, yeah. how the heck did they win that game, Hans? I don't know. But the images that are coming from uh, a lot of people's grabbing the screen grabs and the TV sets showed, you know, all these people on the, the, the sideline that were praying. And, I mean, I think the one image that's showing uh, across Twitter is Zach Wilson's mom, who's actually got her hands clasped together hey. and her eyes closed and her head bowed. And, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, like outside of some type of crazy miracle, this, this BYU team was able to put it back into overtime just to kind of give people a description. BYU's backed up on their own 10 yard line. Approximately it's somewhere around third and 18 approximately. And, there's only 20 seconds left on the clock in regulation. BYU is down by three points. I mean, typically that's just, you know, chalk it up. That's a loss. Somehow, Micah Simon going against Tennessee's third string corner, he falls off on a slant and go. You actually see him kind of stumble off of the route, bites the slant. Micah Simon takes off up the sideline. A great catch by Micah. Not only that, but I watched it again this morning, and he breaks a tackle to get underneath, cuts back in towards the middle of the field. But then, uh, by another miraculous turn of events, he's tackled before the clock expires. He would not have made it to the end zone. There were too many people in pursuance. There was there was the right angles, and if they don't bring him down, 
clock probably expires because you need about two and a half, three seconds to get up and spike the ball. Well, he was tackled with seven seconds. They get up and spike it with it, leave about four or five seconds. They're able to kick the field goal. And I don't know if you've seen the images of the field goal, Scotty. I did go back and watch that. Oh, my gosh. That thing just – well, when I first saw it live, I thought, oh, they're going to – that's SEC officials. They're going to wave this thing off. They are not going to count that field goal. And then you see them throw the uprights, and I'm thinking, what? How is this even happening? BYU loses the coin toss. Tennessee defers, gives it back to BYU for the first overtime. BYU goes in and scores with a beautiful slant pass to Talon Shumway. I think, let me check, that was Talon Shumway's only reception of the night. Wow. One catch, 14 yards, one touchdown in overtime. That was it. That's all you got from him. But it was huge and a beautifully thrown ball targeting the corner that had the meltdown against Micah Simon in the final 20 seconds. So really good offensive coordinating once they found the weak link to go back to that corner multiple times. And and outside of that, that one that they attacked in overtime, I think they attacked him one other time in one of the overtimes. Tennessee matches it pretty quickly. They match it. They find a seam route, and uh, they, they really put a dime on a guy um, in the end zone. Tennessee gets the ball first in the second overtime. They're stopped to a field goal, and BYU finds Tyson Williams on a couple of runs. They actually, what was crazy, they rolled the dice on a fly sweep reverse that netted them about 15 yards. It set up Tyson Williams on two runs, two power runs. The second one was about an eight-yard run that was pushed mostly by the offensive line all the way into the end zone, and they get the win 29-26. And we we do need to acknowledge the fact that this is a garbage Tennessee team. Yeah, you know, Scotty. One thing that you and I will never do is try to over sugarcoat or overemphasize something. This is a garbage Tennessee team that lost to Georgia State. There's no question. But this is also a Tennessee team that hadn't won, uh, hadn't lost back to back openers since I think you said 1988, sometime early in the week or 86. They just don't lose back to back home openers. It doesn't happen that way. Georgia State and BYU, it does show this is not a good team. But that was an emotional game. I watched Coach Pruitt on the other sideline pour every bit of energy and emotion into that sideline. He was tearing apart everybody that was coming off that made a mistake. He was really trying to emphasize the energy. And Tennessee put up the best fight that they, I think that they could put up. But a highly emotional win for Kalani, highly emotional win for this BYU football team. And it was it was a great night, regardless of what type of Tennessee team this is. You know, it's funny just watching that 64-yard pass. Um, and uh, the highlight I'm looking at right now has, you know, Micah Simon open on the sideline. You know, Matt Bushman's also running free, too. Like down the seam, like there were multiple breakdowns on this Tennessee defense where now the safety would have caught Bushman probably around the 45 yard line. But that's also going to be a big gain for BYU if they find Bushman. So, I mean, it's amazing how incredible the breakdown, how many breakdowns there were on that Tennessee defense on that final play. But 
I'm telling you, you know what, if you're BYU, you know, you don't really get too overly, I mean, you don't have too much time to to, to look at, well, we got lucky or it shouldn't have happened or whatever the case might be because at the end of the day, you got a W and that's all that matters. I mean, you found a way to get that win and now you go into USC, you go back home to play USC and you got some momentum now. And, you know, look, forget about Tennessee being a bad team. Forget about their defensive breakdowns. Forget about all that stuff. You got a miraculous win. Enjoy it. And let's build off this thing. And, and, uh, let's see. And then BYU wants to, I'm sure they're, they're going to roll after this a little bit. I mean, it's, it's hard not to be, to take that momentum and, and play well next week. Well, I did. To your point, Scotty, I think one thing that they found was a little bit of that identity that Will yeah. and I have been talking about really discovering that, okay, you do have a run game. Your offensive line is much better in run block, more confident in run block, and Tyson Williams is a runner. So go back, and I'm not, you know, Kalani comes from that, that Kyle Whittingham coaching tree of, yeah, at some point, man, you got to con- control the clock and go with what you can go with, and you've got a good run game. So getting ready for USC, it's got to be the Tyson Williams show. And you've got to unleash your offensive line. It is a good offensive line, especially in run blocking. Unleash them on that USC defensive front and see if you can get some movement. It is a big week for Kalani and getting ready for USC. USC and Washington in back-to-back weeks at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That's that's spectacular. This is a, this is a fun couple of upcoming weeks for BYU fans who stand in independence and at, at times don't know what to get excited about. Well. This Tennessee win cranks up that excitement because right now you've got a coach who's trying to coach for his extension. He's trying to coach for a new contract, and you've got a team who's playing like that for him. Didn't in the second half of that Utah game, but they did in that Tennessee game. Yeah, yep. Uh, by the way, just update, uh, USC may not be as bad as we thought. Uh, they put it to Stanford 45-20. to uh, yeah. led that game twenty four to twenty at halftime, and then just boat race Stanford in the second half. So, and uh, the true freshman Slovis throws for nearly four hundred yards on twenty eight of thirty three passing. So USC may be better than we thought, but then you look at Washington, and after a lot of rain delays and weather issues, a lot of people are waking up this morning and realizing, oh my gosh, Cal beat Washington. Um, Cal hit a late field goal with just a few seconds left. And Cal beats 14th ranked Washington 20 to 19. So now you got Washington, who was ranked 14th in the country, losing to Cal. And by the way, and we'll get to Utah here in a second. Utah is now the best hope for for the uh, uh, New Year's yeah. six for the Pac-12. Yep. Yeah. They they truly are. I mean, schedule set up for them that way. But with Oregon's early loss to Auburn and now Washington losing to Kyle, and by the way, this is a repetitive repetitive conversation that Scotty and I have had for years and years since Utah entered into the Pac-12 with a nine-team schedule in the Pac-12. is There's always room for mistakes, and it's really tough for these teams to get through these scheduled conferences or these conference schedules unblemished. And, you know, we just saw Washington fall. Um, Scotty, a couple of guys I wanted to make mention of uh, about BYU as I went back and did some review this morning. I won't do my actual film review until tomorrow morning. I'll get up and, and get things going about 6 in the morning. Should have quite a few of them posted by somewhere around 10.30 or 11. But 
Kavika Fonua led BYU in tackles last night. The former running back turned middle linebacker for BYU had 10 tackles. He had a tackle for a loss. He also had an interception that was huge. Isaiah Kafusi was spectacular on uh, a fly sweep in a fourth and one situation where Tennessee could have probably iced the game with a first down. It's fourth and one. They run a fly sweep, and Isaiah Kafusi is able to get off the edge, defeat a block, and get the tackle for about a half-yard loss. And that that's the image that you see of Kalani that I tweeted out yesterday where he's stretching back and letting all the emotion flow from him. So Isaiah Kafusi was great. Nine tackles. He ended up with two pass deflections. And, of course, that big tackle that I talked about. Um, Kairos Tonga didn't have the greatest night. Um, he it, It's not like he was ever-present. But when Tennessee got the ball back with about a minute 50 and they were trying to drive and put the exclamation on the win, Kairos Tonga broke through the line actually pushed the, the, the right guard back into the running back and then blew up the running back for a three-yard loss. Kyrus Tonga was spectacular. Tyson Williams, the running back, ended up with 17 carries for 92 yards and two touchdowns. That was fantastic. Zach Wilson, at the beginning of the game, had some accuracy issues, some, hold, uh, some holding on to the ball issues, but ended the night 19 of 29 for 232 yards. And that touchdown that he threw in overtime was awesome. So he had some guys that stepped up last night outside of, of course, we talked about Micah Simon. And then the final guy I have to mention, I mean, I'm forced to mention him, was Jake Olderoid. The, the kicker for BYU ended up three of three on field goals, had the long of 42. He was two of two on extra points, had 11 points for BYU on the night. And he averaged just over 51 yards in punting. So, on four punts. So, it was really some great performances across the board from guys that Kalani needed to show up in that game. So, BYU gets the win. They're now 1-1 one one on the season. And we said all during the offseason, BYU wouldn't start out the year 0-4. They would win one of these games, probably between Tennessee and USC. They've done that. They've got USC coming up. Utah at home taking on Northern Illinois. Uh, a little bit of a shaky start in the first half. Some defensive lapses, especially in coverage. Uh, but when Utah put the clamps down in the second half, they did exactly what they thought we, what we thought they'd do. They won that game. They won it handily. And again, showing that you know, look, that this is a really good team. And sometimes when they uh, when their focus isn't right, they'll give up some points. They'll give up some yards. But at the end of the day, when they get things right, they'll, they'll put teams away. And they did that to Northern Illinois. Yeah, they did. And, and as you mentioned, Northern Illinois had some success. Uh, Bowers, their quarterback, ended up the night 20 of 29 for 230 yards and a touchdown. A lot of that came in the first half of that game before BYU put the clamps on. But still, 20 of 29 for 230 yards coming from Northern Illinois' passing game was pretty special. I will tell you that Northern Illinois, uh, they, they wanted to press the run at times. They, they tried to get it going on the ground, and they really couldn't get anything going. Their starting running back nettles ended up on an average of 3.7 per carry. They only had 67 yards rushing, and Utah was really able to shut that down. 
I do know that there's some concern out there about Lucky Foto, and I was actually talking to a high school coach that knows him and said that it is nothing to be concerned about. Um, that Lucky Foto is just fine, nothing to be concerned about. And he said that Lucky could play, it, 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 but Lucky needs to be ready for Pac-12 play. So don't worry about the big man Lucky Foto in the middle. I expect him back against Idaho State. And if he doesn't play against Idaho State, I think that's all precautionary. And not because he's absolutely injured and out. But I do expect him back against Idaho State, Scotty. Um, on the offensive side of the ball for Utah, just going back and review, they limited him in passing attempts. Huntley, for the second week in a row, was under 20 attempts. He was 14 of 19 for 214 yards. And Utah went back to Zach Moss. And Moss didn't have the uh, average per carry that I'm sure he wanted. He was ended up at 4.4 yards per carry, 18 carries for 80 yards. It's not what Zach Moss wanted, but we know what Northern Illinois. We know Northern Illinois is a very is a very strongly coached team. Yeah, they, good defense. They, yeah, they are, yeah they are going to play disciplined, hard nosed, um, fighting type defense, and they did that at times against Utah, and I. I still, Scotty. I, I did see some some strange tweaks in. Um, I saw some strange tweaks in coverage in the first half of this game. I I don't know if Utah some, saw something from Northern Illinois, but the press wasn't the same as the press that I saw against BYU the week before. So I don't know exactly what they were doing, but I did see in the second half things just went back to base. And I still haven't seen the defense or the offense really open things up. Yeah. Now, maybe maybe Ludwig doesn't open things up. But I know that Morgan Scally has a lot more to bring. You know, there there is a lot in that defensive playbook that has not been opened up and unleashed. They've played base style. And I expect a lot more to flow out in two weeks against USC. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still of the belief that they're uh... – you know, you can say that about Morgan Scally. I think on the offensive side too, they're they're holding back and wisely so. If you can get wins, if you feel comfortable about getting wins against BYU and Northern Illinois and, and Idaho State, then uh, no need to really show your cards right now. And I, I think that's where Utah's at, where they can hold back. They can, in fact, in and if you're, you know, essentially kind of reading between the lines on what you saw, perhaps they're experimenting a little bit with some different coverages seeing what works, what doesn't work. Okay, that didn't work. Let's scrap it. And when they put the clamps down defensively, look, Northern Illinois had 17 points at halftime. They get shut out in the second half. Don't score. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it's like Utah's like, okay, well, we we played around a little bit. We tried some things, didn't work. So let's go back to what we do. And boom, Northern Illinois doesn't touch the scoreboard in the second half. Well, and the nice thing, the way the schedule's worked out for them, they have one more game to try some things that, you know, to try some depth, first of all. You know, you, you want to work on your depth because, let's say, against USC, you've got a starting safety or a starting corner that comes up limping. And now you can look at some of these guys and say, oh, well, he's got three games of reps now, and let's put him in against USC, and we can count on him. So I think really good opportunity to work on depth. 
and then a really nice opportunity to work on coverages. You know, you, you find Idaho State's best receiver or you find Northern Illinois' best receiver and you say, all right, we're going to see some really talented receivers in Pac-12 play. How do we want to manage this? Do we press them outside? Do we funnel them back inside? Is our best bet to push them in in and towards Julian Blackman, or is our best bet trying to push it back into Evans? Is are we working on bracket? How do you know? So there are so many different things that they can try to put together and and work on. So when you see a Pac-12 team and you want to throw something different, they've worked on it in live game action. Um, but they know that what their base is. Like you just pointed out, they, they go base, and Northern Illinois can't move the ball. Yeah. They know that they can do that. Um, but they, I, I know that they want to have more in their tool belt because they don't, they want, they don't want to be caught sleeping. Yeah. Uh, a bad injury at a bad time where they didn't work on something new. Well, and frankly, too, I mean, if you've got a non-conference schedule where you feel like you can, you're going to get wins – and you don't really you don't have that premier game against a team that you feel is your equal, then yeah, take some time and get it right and fix some, some things. Work on depth, get some guys some playing time that you might need down the line, and uh, iron out some things and and throw some things against the wall see if it sticks. And I think we saw that a little bit against BYU. We definitely saw it against Northern Illinois, and you'll probably see a lot of it against Idaho State. And and then and then then the games really count, and then it really matters. So. Be playing your best football. Have every opportunity available to you. Work on some alignments. Work on some coverages. See what works. See what combinations work for you. And then move on and get ready for conference play because a lot of pressure is on Utah right now. I mean, with Washington losing, Oregon losing right out of the gate, that, uh, look, the the door is wide open for Utah right now. Just wide open. And they got to take advantage of it. And it's got to start against USC against two weeks, be in two weeks because USC may be a whole lot better than we uh than we originally thought. Uh, Utah State hands. Uh, it was a. Um, it was what you'd expect against an FCS team. The thing I really liked is there are some games that certainly against an FCS opponent you don't look good early on, a little sluggish, and then you put the clamps down in the second, third quarter. Um, that wasn't the case. Utah State was up thirty-four nothing at halftime. They forced five straight three and outs to start the game. Uh, Stony Brook didn't get a first down until Utah State was up, I think, 27 to nothing. And it was it was just what you would expect, an absolutely dominating performance from a team that's a, a middle-of-the-pack FCS team. It's not a horrible FCS team, not a great one, uh, but you did exactly what you'd hope to do is just completely blow the team out right out of the gate. Jordan Love looked great, as you would expect him to. He only played two plays in the second half uh, to put Utah State up 41 to nothing. So he sat out the entire second half. David Woodward was able to sit out much of the second half as well. So it was one of those games where you do everything you wanted to do. You accomplished everything you wanted to do. You were able to get some guys some rest. And then uh, and then they go into a bye week, and then they got a big one against San Diego State, who just smashed UCLA in the Rose Bowl yesterday. But your Utah transfers continue to play well. Uh, let's see here. Um, COC Mariner, another five catches for 73 yards and a score. Devin Tompkins, who's a sophomore, and is just a speed burner. Had a punt return for a score. Also had a uh, touchdown reception, five catches for 77 yards. 
So Utah State looked good, and your kid from uh, Snow College, Jalen Warren, nine carries, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. So Utah State, that offense is uh, humming along nicely. Who was the standout? Who was the standout wide receiver? You uh, said? Devin Tompkins is a kid. He's you know you remember JoJo Natson when he played there, and then he, he now he's playing for the Rams as a punt returner. Yeah, uh, this mm-hmm. kid's very similar. He's you know he's like five foot eight, one hundred and seventy pounds, just a small guy that they'll play in the slot a little bit, and uh, and uh, they used him as a bit you know at times as a punt returner. Had a punt return for a score. He's just lightning in a bottle. As uh, as uh, Gary Anderson called him after the game, he's just complete speed, and he's he was just causing all kinds of havoc. He'll be a big boost. Mariner did his thing. Caleb Rep had another five catches. Uh, they had fourteen players uh, catch a pass yesterday. <laughs> for, for, how's that for distribution? They got down to their third string quarterback, and even he had a fifty nine yard touchdown run. So. Overall, complete dominating performance by Utah State and uh, is what you would expect and what you'd hope for, and they certainly got that. So now they go into a bye week, and then they get ready for what? San Diego State, big one. Uh, So San Diego State, I think, has New Mexico State next week. Um, But the Mountain West continues to do its thing. I mean, they picked up another two wins over Pac-12 teams yesterday uh, because you got San Diego State beating UCLA, and then... Hawaii is now 2-0 and against the Pac-12. They had a impressive come-from-behind win against Oregon State uh, oh last night as well. So so Hawaii's 2-0 and against the Pac-12. In fact, Nick Rolovich, uh, you and I have talked to him quite a bit, but Nick Rolovich, Happy for him. he tweeted out a, uh, a logo of the, the Rose Bowl logo this morning saying that... <laughs> Oh, that's trolling, man. <laughs> that's good. That's good old fashioned trolling. And I think they're playing at Washington next week, so they've got a, another game against a Pac-12 team. Now, Washington. Oh my gosh. Washington's a little bit better than uh, Arizona and uh, Oregon State, but they'll put up points against against Washington. They'll score some points. I don't think they'll beat Washington, but they'll they'll uh, they'll score some points against that team. Well, man. I was happy to see that Utah State took care of Stony Brook, did what they needed to do, and got back on their offensive ways. How fast was their tempo? Did they really push that oh, yeah. tempo? Yeah, just incredible. In fact, it's weird. to It's hard to believe, but they're even faster than they were last year in tempo. And How is that even possible? I mean, it. it they had a uh, – I mean, the fact that they're back up at the line, and those those linemen, they got some youngsters at linemen that continue to play well, but they're they're sprinting down the field. I mean, they're running almost, you know, let's say you got a 20-yard run. They're running down the field. By the time the guy gets up off the ground and the tacklers get up, that offensive line is almost set and ready to go. They're just waiting for the referee to spot the ball. It's it's really impressive to watch. Well, you know, one thing I want to point out on that, because I think a lot of people think, wow, those offensive linemen must be exhausted. It, 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 it's not even close to what a defensive line is doing. So the nice thing is an offensive line that's in a hurry-up situation, and I never ran a hurried offense, but I ran, I ran a lot of two minutes. In two minutes, that's exactly what you got to do in spike ball situations where you got to be on the ball before the ref even places it. you got to be on the ball. And it's way more exhausting for a defensive line. It it really cuts the rush out of a defensive line because you're just firing off into a guy instead of focusing on a rush. You're just firing into a man and getting blocked and trying to pursue on the catch or trying to pursue on the run. So it's exhausting for a defense. 
So that's it. That's all I've got. What do you, uh, any other final thoughts you want before we wrap this thing up? No, just excited for the weeks to come. Very excited for the weeks to come. You know, that win against Tennessee kept things very encouraging and exciting for, for BYU. And obviously Utah's got the world in front of them and the Pac-12 sits there ready for the picking and Utah State shows that they're going to be insane matchup in the Mount West Conference and that BYU's got their work cut out from them on another in-state rival as well as uh, their work cut out for them with Boise State. So BYU and Utah State and and Boise State, they all three have to play each other. And that's a lot of good football and a lot of fun competition. So this is, I'm just encouraged. And And I'm really genuinely happy for Kalani you could see he more than any game in the past he wore the worries on his face in that Tennessee game with the extension not being signed over the offseason that we talked at length about Scotty I want people to understand there you know his contract ends 2020 yeah but you don't take him into that final year no if if you don't sign the extension he's gone he's he's gone so he knows what he's playing for. You could see it on his face, and that was a great win and an exciting moment for him. So you got wins across the state. Weber State even picked up a big W as well. So it was a good day in the state of Utah. That wraps it up for us. Another edition of the uh, podcast, the morning after podcast. And I uh, look forward to kicking things off tomorrow at noon with more analysis, more breakdown. We'll take a closer look at the games and uh, really break things down tomorrow at noon. Hans, hope you have a good Sunday, man. Appreciate your time. All right, brother. Talk to you tomorrow.